Good morning, everyone. Here we are Wednesday, March 24th for this beautiful day here in sunny California. And we're all here in Southern California. This is exciting. Um, yeah, Orange County to, be, uh, to boot. Um, so we're at Know the Rules of the Game. I'm Desiree Potner, your host. And today's theme is going to be about the impact of COVID-19 on homelessness. So thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me. Today we have Kelly Amit. Did I say it right? Or close? Close. close. Okay. Uh, from the, our, she is a former UPS internal sales, inside sales for uh, the national sales of UPS. And also she is on our esteemed uh, NDLC, our diversity and inclusion uh, leadership council. And then also we have Bertil Agassi from, did I say that? We're, we're, we're having fun with names this morning. It took us 10 minutes and we started laughing so hard, get it together. So we, we're famous for butchering names over here. So we'll let it go. That's my human trick of the trade for the day. But anyway, so welcome, welcome. And what you've been doing with Till has been just short of a miracle, um, running the wife's place and taking care of women from 18 to 84 that are single unaccompanied women, raising capital, keeping the, the core of of what they do, their mental state of minds, the ability to keep their health together and being properly fed and, 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 um, and closed and everything that you're doing is just the heart of my soul. So thank you and welcome. And Kelly, you wanna go ahead and introduce Bertel for us. Sure, um, very excited Desiree to be here today. Thanks for having me. I uh, certainly had a great career with UPS. I was there for over 28 years as vice president of sales. And at, during that time, I got introduced to Wise Place. And I've worked with Wise Place for, gosh, probably over 10 years now. And I've just been amazed at uh, the transformation and how Wise Place has continued to grow and continue to do such good work through the years. Um, I met Bertil back, we had a change of executive director, uh, gosh, probably about three, four years ago now, Bertil. I time flies. And um, I've been excited and just amazed at how she's taken Wise Place to the next level. And I think it's um, just been a um, wonderful to watch the impact that it's had throughout Orange County and certainly in the Santa Ana area. Um, but then COVID came. And I think that also created some real challenges. So I want to, first of all, just say hello to Bertil and let her have a chance to uh, kind of give a little bit of her story. And then we can move into uh, talk about what's been going on at Wise Place these past couple of years. So Bertil, I'm gonna turn it over to you. Okay, thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Desiree. Um, Wise Place really is where it's at because um, of the community and you two are huge champions of our mission and helping vulnerable women. So I'm really excited to uh, be with you this morning. Um, as Kelly said, my name is Bertil Agassi. I have um, been serving in the nonprofit industry um, for, 15 plus years. Um, I took over as a CEO of Wise Place about three years ago and Wise Place um, really caught my heart because I was taking a tour and I had known of Wise Place for about 15 years, just, you know, being in the nonprofit industry. But when I took a tour, I walked into the emergency shelter and I will never forget that I saw so many women who had to have been 80 and even 90 years old. So much beautiful salt and pepper hair in the shelter. So many walkers and so many wheelchairs. And here they were in our emergency shelter. And my heart dropped, to be honest with you. I was so, 
you know, it really touched my heart that they were safe and not on the streets, but thinking of an 80, 90 year old woman who's disabled and on the streets, that's what made me decide to take the job at Wise Place because I knew that our organization could help lead the effort to end homelessness for vulnerable women, um, especially, you know, all types of women, but especially senior women. Um, I know that the audience agrees with me that we don't want an 80 or 90 year old woman homeless and on the streets and by herself. So we know that our community, especially here in Orange County, can do so much better. And so it really is my honor and my privilege to lead the organization um, and help us grow and help us evolve and meet the ever changing needs of homelessness. Um, you know, my first year was all about stabilizing the organization. And then you think that that's a challenging year. And then here comes COVID. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it's been challenging, but our volunteers have been the brightest light and we have not given up. You know, last year, even through COVID, we helped 76% of the women transition into permanent housing, even through COVID. And so wow. we're really proud of that. So I can't wait to kind of get into it, but um, I'm here and I'm just so honored to be the CEO of Wise Place. And, you know, we have dreams of taking Wise Place to the next level. Um, we have done shelter, uh, all types of shelter and wraparound services for over 90 years in the community. And we are the only organization that solely focuses on unaccompanied women. And unaccompanied women is just our way of saying like a single woman who doesn't have a partner or children with her. And so she literally is alone. Um, and when women are alone on the streets, the statistics are heartbreaking because when a, a single woman is alone on the streets, it's unfortunately not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when she will be assaulted. So it's so important that our organization um, leads the effort to end homelessness for unaccompanied women so that they are not vulnerable and on the streets. And so, Pratil, just to expand on that a little bit, I once heard the statistic is one in four homeless is an unaccompanied woman. Is that still accurate? Or So, unfortunately, with homelessness growing across the nation and here in Orange County, especially senior women, as, as um, you know, populations of are aging, sorry, I should turn my cell phone off. <laughs> um, there's more women and more senior women becoming homelessness because homelessness really, there's so many myths about what is homelessness. Um, it's about mental health, it's about substance abuse. Really, there's three reasons for homelessness in Orange County and that's pulled from data in Orange County. And it's really about um, costs. It's, it's really an economic issue, it truly is. The first and second reason is that you cannot find a job that allows you to pay your rent or mortgage, right? It's kind of the one-two combination. It's economics. The economy definitely doesn't work for women, especially, and women of color, especially. And then the third reason for homelessness in Orange County is um, what the study calls a family dysfunction, which really for women, a huge part of that is domestic violence. So that could be a death of a partner and all of a sudden you're you know, a two income household and your spouse dies, especially when you're a senior and now you're a one income household and you can't afford the same rent or mortgage. Um, but for women, it is especially being a survivor of domestic violence here in Orange County. And almost 60% of the women we serve at Wise Place are survivors of domestic violence. So Kelly, unfortunately, that number is now one in three. Wow. 
So wow. it's one in three here in Orange County and across the nation, which again is why Wise Place solely focuses on unaccompanied women because unaccompanied women tend to fall through the cracks. Um, you know, thank goodness here in Orange County, we have so many amazing nonprofits that focus on women and families. And we're so grateful for that. And women and children obviously need the support, um, but we don't want unaccompanied women to be left alone, especially senior women. That's a great, yeah, that's a great, uh, unbelievable. My heart just pounds when you talk about the data analytics. And I think that our, our audience and viewers um, that need to know also that the aging population, as you say, that it's growing. That's because in 2018, uh, 65 and older has now uh, more populous in the United States than five and younger. So having women and also women outlive men by five years. So your single unaccompanied women or your unaccompanied women, uh, thank you for the correction, um, is going to be even greater because as we age out, as we, um, you know, um, and what's the effect of COVID going to have, you know, it, with the aging population and how that went through. So huge. So I'd like to take it back a little bit to let's talk about you talked about a little about how you got into it and got your heart. Tell us a fun fact about you that it is like that Kelly doesn't know since you've known her for <laughs> a long, long time. I like to everyone feel that, you know, the, the Mother Teresa in you, what is that that is so fun about you that no one would know that you're just going to go, yeah, this is what I do and this is who I am. Oh gosh. Um, so you warned me about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> That's right. Um, but <laughs> because you have no sleep for 72 hours and you finally decided to, okay, I got to get presentable. Okay. We got to do this. Go ahead. Running a, a, a women's homeless shelter during a pandemic. There's not too much fun going on. <laughs> But I just got a dog, so that's a fun fact. I've never had a pet before. I just got a dog for the first time and I can hear him barking and crying downstairs. <laughs> right now? Today. Yes. Uh, Doesn't that break your heart? You're like going, you're in a house, you're fed, you're warm, and you're crying because you can't hear. I have the same problem. My door shut, my three little girls, they know as soon as I pause, Scratch, scratch, scratch. Can I come in, mom? Can I come in? <laughs> I need you, mom. It's seven, eight in the morning. I need you. So that that's as fun as we're getting in this household right now. <laughs> we have a cute little, uh, an Irish cream golden retriever. He is about 12 weeks old and he is the cutest terror you've ever met in your life. <laughs> But it calms you down. It, it puts the aura in life. And when you're having a really, I know the last three days and my heart bleeds for you has been really tough um, at the facility and all the things that are going on, but it doesn't, it just rejuvenate life. You just feel like, oh, thank you. And it just be in there. So sorry for just, I, I had to get that in there. because <laughs> I'm like, I'm not just not that fun, Desiree, right now. <laughs> Now you are. Look at the dress you have on. You got, see, we both got the flowers going here, right? We got there you go. There you go. purple. It's still March. It's still Women's History Month. Just sporting some purple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I love it. Actually, International Women's Day this year was yellow, was a bright yellow. I've got my, my St. Patty's, you know, green that we had all for past the torch and everything going on. So, so if we were to take it back, um, and now Kelly, you were going to say something? Well, I was just going to mention, I think Wise Place is one of the few shelters, too, to really handle COVID in a fantastic, I don't think you guys even, we even had a breakout, did we, did we, for We did not, and 
I mean, we were very aggressive. Our kind of reaction to COVID was very early, very aggressive. Um, and I think that really saved us. Shout out to the programs team. I mean, they work their booties off. I truly don't think I slept for more than four hours um, along with the programs team from March to June. Yeah. Uh, you know, so we, we put in the sweat equity to make sure that our vulnerable women, um, we didn't have an, a single outbreak. And we're one of the only shelters to not have a single outbreak. You know, unfortunately, a lot of the shelters had multiple outbreaks last year. It's a really tough environment not to have an outbreak um, with something so contagious, easily contagious as COVID when you're in kind of a communal environment, communal right. environment communal bathroom so well, you thank look you huge shout out to the programs team none of us slept for like six months <laughs> i bet i bet <laughs> look at the room that i remember when you were showing me the the one end room where they ate and they had well they had uh you know the uh tables in there but the beds that were in there that have the big room i mean you have how many people in there 40 50 people 60 just in that room alone so normally, you know, pre pre COVID, we were serving over 100 women every single day. And so imagine 100 women with um, 10 showers and 10 bathrooms. And normally, that's not an issue. But with COVID, huge issue. Right. right. Um, right. And we also uh, support women with domestic animals. We really at Space, we think that's so important. Um, and to be honest with you, that's something that I didn't completely understand. I was a little uh, naive to. And uh, I remember my first day at Wise Place, I was touring and I was meeting some of the ladies and I got to meet Diana. And she has the cutest little, uh, uh, well, he's not little, he's huge, <laughs> golden retriever um, named Jay. And I was talking to her and she was telling me how uh, her and Jay had been paired for several years, for about five or six years when she was homeless due to like a health issue. And then the, the bill skyrocketed and here Diana was finding herself homeless. Um, but Jay helped her not be assaulted. He was like, not only just her family and her dog, but he was physically her protector until she got to the Wise Place shelter. So we had, I think before, right before COVID, we had about 14 animals, mostly dogs, I think one or two cats. So here we were serving over a hundred women every day and we operate in like 14 puppies and kitties. Um, and because we are open seven days a week, 24 hours a day, we never shut down at Wise Place. That takes about 50 people to operate a 24 hour a day shelter, right? When you're open. So, you know, we were an organization that had, you know, almost 200 people there before COVID. So there was a lot of, you know, everyone's favorite word is pivot. For 2020, there was a whole lot of pivoting going on at Wise Place. I bet. <laughs> dog food. You're not just getting. You're not just getting people food. You're getting dog food to make sure that the dogs are taken care of. Absolutely. So I know Bertil too. One thing that makes Wise Place so different are the programs, and you've mentioned the program managers a few times. What do the programs and program managers actually do to help support the women as you know you try to get them transitioned? Honestly, the number one we thing we do when someone um, is referred to our shelter, either from a hospital or the streets or uh, another partner organization, um, is to build trust. Usually the first 48 to 72 hours are of a woman entering our shelter is just 
here's a clean place to shower. Here's some clean clothes. Here's some warm, nutritious food. Here's some water. And then it's like the first time that a woman is not afraid. So we will sleep a, see a woman sleep just for 24, 48 hours because it's literally the first time that she's not afraid, that she's not living in her car, that she's not living on the streets. And then after their basic needs are met, really the case managers and the clinical staff, they're building trust. Because, you know, what some of us may not realize, and, you know, I certainly didn't before I got to Wise Place, is that there's so much trauma that goes along. And so our job really is to help walk alongside a woman's journey and help them um, deal with the trauma that has happened to them while they were surviving domestic violence and had the strength to leave their abusive partner, or even the trauma that happens when you're trying to survive on the streets as a woman. Um, so we unpack that while at Wise Place. And as we unpack that and we deal with the trauma that the women are dealing with, we um, really just kind of wrap them around services. And so, you know, every week at Wise Place, we have art classes, yoga, meditation, breathing, in addition to um, resume building, job coaching, budgeting, savings. Uh, a big part of what we do is when we're ready, we set goals. So every woman sets her own goals and we help um, empower um, our participants to meet their own goals. And then those um, who finding and keeping a job is an attainable goal, we help them. And that's been really tricky during COVID. Um, a lot of our women were essential workers. Yeah. So we would see women who have a full-time job, have a part-time job, really hardworking women, women who get up at 4 a.m., 5 a.m. and would shower and hit that bus and take, you know, a 30, 45 minute bus ride to get to their job. Um, a lot of our women work in elderly care or um, like office jobs. And so managing kind of their employment and their risks of COVID and then bringing that potentially back to the shelter, that's a reality, right? All of, that all essential workers face, you know, that was really tricky too. And so it just took a, a lot of partnership you know, with, with the women, but mm -hmm. you know, all of our services are around achieving personal self-reliance and that looks different, um, for say a woman who like Anne Marie, who was homeless for several years and came to our shelter and she was in her eighties, I believe yeah. she was 82 when she came to our shelter. And so with Anne Marie, let's say it's maybe not necessarily about finding a full-time job, but it's about, um, stabilizing her health care, right? And being proactive about her health care and supporting women with their mental health. Um, so stabilizing and wellness is such a part of our program too. In addition to some of the traditional services like helping somebody increase uh, savings and income. Um, but in, in either path, um, you know, the end goal is always to end homelessness and to help align the women with either assisted um, senior living facilities uh, for the ladies that need a little bit more support or rooms to rent. Um, you know, I remember two women who had been in the shelter over a decade ago, and um, this was two years ago before COVID, and they came to a holiday party. And I didn't know who they were because I'm still fairly new, and I was talking to them, and they were roommates. Oh, 
they were they met at the shelter over a decade ago and here they were and they were roommates you know 11 years later and they were the best of friends um and you know with the economics they can't afford to have their own apartment because it's so expensive and so they've been roommates for like 11 years and so you see really beautiful friendships that I think truly only happen at Wise Place. I've been in this industry for 15, 16 years, but there is something really special about being in a female only environment that really only happens at Wise Place. And you see women really support each other. That's really beautiful. Oh, absolutely. Such, I mean, the programs are so multifaceted to help women in, in any stage of their life. I, I'm always amazed, I've always been amazed with the program management there. I think it's what makes Wise Place unique, you know, is that there's, it's more than just a shelter. It actually supports the women as they go through the transitions and things like that. I'm always amazed by that. Yeah, they're really one-on-one -on -one personalized services. Um, and and that's, that's the secret sauce, right? To really be able to build a relationship one-on-one -on -one with somebody and to really get to know them um, and so part of, you know, what I did when I got there three years ago is we actually dropped caseloads on purpose because we needed to have that more one-on-one -on -one time because you're dealing with, um, a lot of life, right? right. So if right. you're just, um, we, we, were not treating people as a number, right? We're putting people first in everything we do. Um, and so you're right. I, I just, I am so thankful to the program staff. We changed a whole lot and they have just been on this journey and, you know, every day we're doing that right now, actually, we're having a series of meetings with the program staff that says, what can we do better? You know, we're really looking at our outcomes and saying, this is really great, but what can we do even better? And we're not afraid to ask ourselves that. And so I think that's that, why we continue to improve. Sorry, that's on. So put people first is your rule number one, which is exactly what you just said. So I want to make sure that we, everyone knows that uh, even though we didn't define it and everything you have, everything you've gone over really embodies, as Kelly said, not only where they are in their journey of re-transitioning back into stabilization, getting a job, you know, based on what their, their initial come and, and go, but you have given the hope and dreams of getting back into wherever their end game is to give them the tools and resources and support from their quality of life at first and foremost by addressing their quality of life and how to as you say stabilize it then health is number one once you get that going and you get the the mindset the body set then you can give they then themselves can manifest the ability to think that it's attainable by having that source to go with it and i love the way you say that you give them 48 hours or longer to just sleep and just to be a place to just reset the body because if the mind's not firing on all cylinders um, in today's covid environment um i don't care how wealthy you are i don't care how successful you are i don't care all the things you have and all the, the greatness you have behind you um we all have that moment and we have to have the tribe to reset. So I, the, listening to you speak, talk about a book or a way that you can transition and teach everyone to be better within themselves that dealing with had you known, had you ability to go. And that's why we call us Know the Rules Again because mm -hmm. you're saying, I didn't know until I got here that I had mm -hmm. to unwrap and then repackage, repurpose and retrain 
not only our programs, but also the, the people. And so rule number one, people first. Um, yeah, which I, I think that. really leads into, you know, um, the second point, you know, Brutile that you brought up where the importance of volunteers, right? Yeah, so because we put people first, it was expensive to do that, right? I think putting people first, especially during COVID was not easy. I'll never forget, I was, you know, to be honest with you, one of my program managers were talking and I wasn't listening to a word she was saying. And I was just, and I had to tell her, I'm sorry, we need a break. And, and I just ran in my office, shut the door and just kept reading the CDC guidelines. And it was talking about women over 60, which over half of the women that we serve are over 60. And it was talking about women with compromised health. Again, over half of the women we were serving um, were disabled and had compromised health. Um, things like COPD and just things that were, they would be very affected um, if they, you know, had COVID-19. And so, you know, putting people first was very expensive. And I remember just putting my thoughts together and looking at our budget and saying, okay, we need to increase sanitation. We need to increase case management. People are going to be working overtime. And the biggest thing is we needed to move people out of our one shelter that had you know over 170 people between staff and shelter participants and we need to move every woman who has compromised health and is over 60 and privately fund motels so that they have um, their own access to a bathroom and a shower so that they're not sharing with you know 150 other women right right and so that was incredibly expensive and i put my budget together and i sat there and i stared at the numbers that were staring right back at me and they were the expenses were four times higher than our normal expenses. But wow. reading the CDC guidelines, again, put people first, right? Wise Place is going to put people first. I knew it was the right thing to do. I knew it was be costly. I knew we did not have the money at the time, but I knew that we would figure it out, right? I knew we had to, you know, separate the women into motels, scatter our services, our case management, and our clinical services, delivering meals three times a day all over the community because we had the women in separate motels for safety alongside our on-site shelter. And I remember calling my board chair and say, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> Do I have your blessing? And these expenses are going to go up and these expenses are going to go down and it's not going to, it's going to be painful. And it was just a simple yes, you know, you have a great plan, go for it. And I said, great, you won't hear from me for about seven days. <laughs> I don't think we're going to sleep for seven days because here we were, you know, take basically we dropped our occupancy at the shelter by 50%. So essentially what I did is I left about 75 women on site and then moved 75 women off site who were over 60 and had compromised health. Right. So that's wow. very expensive to do. Right. The way we got through that is that the volunteers were the brightest light at Wise Place. Um, we ran our first fundraiser at the end of April last year and over 430 donors helped us donate almost $200,000 in 24 hours. Whoa. And I mean, if, if you asked me a year before COVID or any of our board members, if that was even possible at Wise Place, we probably would have laughed at you. I don't even think we had 400 donors, right? And Kelsey, no. because she has great history. And I mean, and there's technology in virtual fundraising, right? So we didn't even know if the majority of our donors would know how to donate online. 
because they like to write checks, right? So it's, it's, it's all these nuances that you don't even think about. Um, but we did, you know, our donors really stepped up to the plate. They knew that we were on the front lines. They knew that we were keeping the most vulnerable women in our community safe. And they knew that we weren't doing that alone and that we needed their help. Um, because imagine, you know, when we purchase a meal, for instance, you know, purchasing a meal for 150 women three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner is served at Wise Place. Having that warm meal brought to Wise Place is a fairly easy thing to do. And where you're trying to serve 150 women, but we have to go to this motel and this motel and this motel and this motel, um, who even drives it there? So we created all new volunteer opportunities. We had volunteers do contactless pickup, um, not even come into the shelter, you know, have their mask and their PPP that we supplied for them. They would come pick up the food and each person had their own like little meal delivery route. And that's how we got by. Um, and then also we said help because meals became very expensive as you can imagine, but obviously nutrition helps you keep your health. Um, and so we had, you know, almost $200,000 worth of meals sponsored by just people, not wow. a big company, just an individual person saying, Hey, I can get four or five friends together and we're going to make spaghetti. And then we, and then we figured out how to kind of get it all over Orange County, if you will. And so, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I cried. So one day I was looking at the meal calendar and I just looked like Tuesday night was sponsored, Wednesday night was sponsored by a community member. Saturday, every meal on the weekend, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks was sponsored. Friday evening meals were sponsored. And mind you, before COVID, these were things that we were paying for. Yeah. But through the grace of the community and just the goodness of people to say, hey, this is a tough time for me too, but I wanna help, right? And yep. so I'm gonna, I'm gonna help by paying $500 to sponsor that day's meal, or I'm gonna cook safely spaghetti and do a contactless drop off. It's amazing, and, that's just amazing, yeah. And I think what I realized in that moment is, um, as the community, the community was so thirsty to help. They just didn't know how no. because everybody, everybody is affected by COVID. Every single person, like Desiree said, regardless of economic status, um, everyone's affected by COVID. And I think everyone felt isolated, right? And so this was a way to kind of tap into the community and felt like even though I'm sheltering in place and even though I'm isolated or even though maybe even I lost my job or my hours have been cut as a person, I could still contribute to my community. I still have value in that way. What I did made a huge difference. And that's how we survived. And we not only survived, but we thrived thanks to volunteers. That's fantastic. That's just a fantastic story. Well, the, the idea is, is that, you know, before we got on the call, I told you about what happened last night about here's a gentleman who has 8,000 doors they're called properties of apartments or rentals or multifamilies around the united states and they donate 240 properties every year to um the women homeless 
to make sure that not only they get off the streets, but they realize that not 100% of their vacancy, they can, I mean, they cannot have their uh, properties 100% occupied. So to do that, they also get the tax benefit of donating the properties, but it's just morally the right thing. And they're like, well, it's, you know, it's just 240 because it's nationally spread. I said, no, you don't understand. Here you are helping 150 women. If you imagine if we were to multiply that and take you as your model of what you've done and how you did it, and you said that, you know, they didn't, you were worried about from going from check writing to going to how to digitally pay, how do we connect? And then a lot of the people were just normal individuals around the local community saying, I'll make food for you. Mm -hmm. Every little helps. And you've, we've heard it so many years and so many decades that it's, there's a different vibe now. It's got to be a little helps in just giving food, you know, mm -hmm. how to take care of the logistics of just driving, the logistics of, of the bandwidth of saying, how do I provide the PPE to dress a person because they're carrying the food back in the day where we couldn't touch anything, let alone breathe on anything because we didn't know. I mean, now we know so much more about the virus mm -hmm. than we did before. Um, and the ability to share that information. That's why the whole thing about when we have to give kudos to Kelly to even think about you know, the rules of the game of how to help the homeless, because I never, it was not even on my, you know, yes, we, we, we bring that information out. But one thing we learned is that when we write a report or we put down the word report, we bring the analytics together, it's a flattened report. It's not a live interaction. It's not real time. It's not something that we can engage and say, what are we doing for the future to help the now to make sure versus then, okay, what's the past? Because what you did a year ago, that model helps. But let's say we're evolving. How is that going to change? Because you're constantly evolving. It's like you say, you're having your weekly meetings. How can we do better? And better might not be the end game. Better might be just logistically how to make sure we're sustainable, not only as an organization, but also the women and how we can help address more women or help others help more women or no matter what's going on. So that's so powerful. Um, and so we go into number three, which is your third role, focus on housing, you know, and, and, and Kelly and, and I, and, and last night we're talking, this really is about housing. You know, where do we put, put this, know the rules game? Yes, you put it in the know the rules game category, but this truly falls into home ownership, owning your own property, being in your own rental, going into home ownership. And I've heard so many people say, well, we don't get into that space. We're just truly about home ownership. You're not about home ownership if you're not looking at the, the, the ability to get people from starting on, I mean, look how many people you could cite that started living on the streets that now are seven figures. You have to give the opportunity to grow and move. So it is about home ownership. So thank you yeah. for the rule. Huge, you know, that's a huge point. And I want to expound a little bit on what you're saying there, Desiree, because, you know, we've been talking about the impact of COVID, which certainly huge impact across everyone, but homelessness impacts everyone. And I don't think people realize that if they're not touched by it directly, it's still impacting their city, their economy, the whole structure of our society. And I just think to myself, this, this thought that, well, it's never going to happen to me or anyone in my family or this or that is it's naive. And it's also not true because it impacts you in some way, shape or form, even if you just want to go with taxes and, and social um, welfare. So, Brutil, you know that I know that's your third point is housing is like Desiree said, 
you you want to talk a little bit about housing and where we're at with that? Sure. Yeah. And and thank you. I think you both make incredible points. And I think, you know, one of the fortunate, unfortunate things that COVID did do is that it highlighted how vulnerable we all are. There are so many people who maybe got their hours cut or maybe got laid off who thought that, you know, that that won't ever happen to me. Right. And I think, unfortunately, unfortunately, that is what COVID did is that it reminded all of us that it's all of us, unfortunately, could be homeless. And again, if you go back to the, the real truth on, on why people are homeless, it's really an economics issue. It's a lack of affordable housing, a lack of, um, you know, wages, right? So wages go down, housing goes up. It's a math problem. It's, it's, it's not somebody doesn't earn homelessness, right? It's not that someone did something wrong, therefore they're homeless it's truly, it stems from economics. Um, yeah, and so that's why my third point is, um, you know, really it should be all about housing because if you think about how much money we as taxpayers, as organizations, as communities, you know, wrap into kind of the COVID response. Well, think about if, if we didn't have say a shelter, like shelter is needed but it shouldn't be our sole focus. And I even say that as the leader of Wise Place, I don't even want Wise Place's sole focus to be shelter, right? Part of why um, I took the opportunity to be CEO of Wise Place is because we have bold goals to build Orange County's first and only permanent supportive housing for unaccompanied women. And we hope to break ground in about two years. Construction is a nightmare. We'll keep you posted. <laughs> but you know, the, the need to advocate for housing and whether that be permanent supportive housing, affordable housing, um, just housing. Our community in Orange County and all across the nation needs housing. And so if I didn't have to have a shelter with a hundred plus women in communal settings, um, you know, and I, I think that we were so fortunate, right? Because we were very, very aggressive early on, but other shelters had multiple outbreaks all year last year because their shelters were communal settings. Now think if they had individual rooms and shelter was much more temporary and we had housing. Yeah. Right? So to me, that's why my third point is I myself, this was a reminder for me that none of this would have been an issue if there was adequate housing, none of it, none of it would have been an issue. And so in addition to our Orange County community putting so many funds towards shelter, you know, as individuals, we can all um, make some good noise in our own cities, right? In the cities that we work and live in and to really advocate and show our support for housing. Because, you know, city councils listen to that. They, they want to hear from you. And that's another way that you could plug into your community and help advocate and end homelessness in your city. Because a lot of the times, um, you know, those that show up to maybe a council meeting are those that are opposed, let's say, to um, housing, building housing. Because maybe they haven't had the opportunity to really understand um, organizations like Wise Place and how we are truly outcomes driven and we truly are do end homelessness. And so if you also show up to those um, meetings and say that you are in favor of housing being built, um, you move the needle. Great point, 
Great point. You know, I, I just think, again, it's it's been an uh, amazing year and Wise Place has accomplished so much. Is there anything, I guess, that Wise Place still needs for Teal or, or things that you think people can do to help Wise Place? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, we are wiseplace.org. Um, you could find my uh, email there. I'd love to talk to you. Um, but we have our uh, a fundraiser coming up. It's called Help Them Home on April 28th. It's a one-day fundraiser where we hope to raise uh, over $145,000 in one day. Um, you can build your own page and you can share it. Um, if you go on wiseplace.org, you can see it. Um, we have started something to help with isolation, kind of like letter writing campaigns that um, and even youth or college students can plug into. It's as simple as you kind of write a letter uh, back and forth a few times to our shelter participants. And I can't tell you how incredibly um, moved they are that you as a community member would take a few minutes of your time to just say hi and tell them that you're thinking about them. It helps them feel seen, which oftentimes uh, people experiencing homelessness feel invisible. And just by writing a letter, you help them feel seen and um, oftentimes I see women carrying that letter with them. So I can't even begin to express to you how meaningful that is for them. Um, things like sponsoring meals, helping um, drive meals to our separate locations um, or sharing your expertise, maybe budgeting, major empowerment, art for healing, all types of volunteer opportunities. So wiseplace.org. Great to hear from you. I, I love the pen pal thing. I mean, I'm just thinking in my mind, you know, when I was young, that was a very big deal. Um, we had the um, uh, ability to deal with the mental hospital in Camarillo that having a pen pal, you'd look at prisons, you look at anything that has to do with isolation, uh, senior centers. I don't hear about that that often anymore about senior citizens um, in centers, you know, senior living. Um, you know, it's isolation forgot. And you're doing, you're saying, now I'm bringing you back in, as you say, it's emergency shelter, but it's, it's temporary. I think there's two points that I'd love to have you hit on before we wrap out. One is, is that the April 28th, as far as the pin pal and things like that, I'm definitely going to share that through NRW's platform and know the rules. But also, if we can get some media coverage for you uh, from a TV network, obviously we're doing this right now, but we're going to amplify and get it through. But having the fact that I think the pen pal just hit my, just like, oh my gosh, something as simple back to like Tammy Bennell, you know, she right. writes hand letters to all her, um, every every month she does 10,000, get it out there, get it said, and, and does a video clip every single day. But that pen pal part that is, is that communication, because like you said, just to have someone that they could put into the frame of mind of having like a significant other that they're sharing their thoughts with, you know, is that huge? Even if they've never met them, you know, you hear about those cases. And the second thing, I think that, you know, I get so many times um, federal contracting, you know, support for, you know, writing for grants, you know, no one's going to care. They're not, I'm not into that space. Why would I care that I want to get designated as an underserved, you know, whether I'm women owned or small business or all the different classifications. I want everyone to know that you were selected for the very first pilot program and the federal government came to you. And that was a serious chunk of money. If you could take a minute, talk about that, because we need to let everyone know that you do good work. It gets noticed. 
And the more you talk about it, bring it out and let people know about it, the more the more success breeds success. So could you give a, a minute about that? Sure. So you're referring to our emergency shelter, right? Yeah, about the, you got the, I believe it was a million or something like that from the federal government for the pilot program like a year, year and a half ago. Yeah, so when um, the riverbed and the civic center encampments were being broken up, there was a lawsuit here in Orange County that, you know, I'm sure we've all heard about. And um, the, the federal judge in that case, Judge Carter, uh, came over to Wise Place and personally picked our organization because he really knew, um, and it's really a testament to his, his um, insight as well, is he really knew that, you know, women on the streets are vulnerable and Orange County needed a non-co-ed shelter and that that is our specialty, right? We've, we specialize in um, the hope and housing of unaccompanied women. And so we were, we were handpicked. And so that became a local, you know, Orange County contract. It was temporary because it was a temporary shelter uh, for us. And, and you know, we, we've ran that shelter for three years now. Um, but, but yeah, it was an honor to be chosen and just to highlight that there truly should be more um, non-co-ed shelters. We really are passionate about that. There is something special about um, unaccompanied women. They have unique unmet needs. There's actually a bill in California um, that's um, trying to be passed right now. And Wise Place was the first official uh, supporter for. And um you know, you could sign up on our newsletters. We're going to um, kind of make a little bit more public information about that soon. But it's a, it's a bill that's goal is to focus on unaccompanied women as a special and unique subset, just like we would veterans or transitional age youth. Well, that's awesome, Rutil. I didn't even know that. That's great. That's See? great. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to talk about it because I've had some family emergencies going on. So I'm going to play catch up next week. But yeah, we're going to hope to kind of shout that from the rooftops. It's it's a bill in, in Sacramento right now, and it would make California the first state to formally recognize unaccompanied women. And so that is a huge step in the right direction to, you know, formally recognize the unique and special needs that women do have. Wow. Do you have a bill number with that? Yes, and I will send it to you. She's exhausted. Can you, the fact that she even got it, come on, come over. <laughs> You know, this has been fantastic. So as a quick recap, because I want to keep everyone, thank you for your such valuable time. And, and I know you're exceptionally busy and, and just being here, I, I so heartily appreciate and the work you're doing. So recap, number one, put people first. Mm -hmm. Number two, volunteers to the rescue. I mean, as you were talking last night, thinking about these, what are these rules and what they imbibe? I mean, these you would think were are the most simple roles, but the most powerful roles and the, and the roles that are the most um, time consuming, logistically um, cost consuming. And you have to really embrace pe putting people first because no one, our DNA defines we are not all the same and our needs can be 100% uniquely different. Um, the volunteers, the rescue volunteers will continually need to be employed and utilized and maybe not today, but having them on that Rolodex, having them in that, that pocket to always know that you're always needed. Um, and then number three, focus on housing. You know, how we house, you know, the logistics now of 
where we eat, where we go, where we sleep, where we work, that space has just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger because of that and how you use your filtration systems and how, you know, just my mind was just going with the communal thought, how you breathe in separate air when you don't even have dividers, we have rooms and the air vents and things like that and outside inside. So focus on housing. So everyone who's in the real estate ecosystem, homelessness is part of the ecosystem and everything we can do and Lucy Dunn was like she says it's not even our charter but it affects our businesses which affects you know our sustainability of our small businesses in orange county and our growth of scaling the businesses so if we don't address the homelessness then we get affected and it happens what gives in that pocket so as you write so we want to keep amplifying that homelessness is all of our responsibility to get it transitioned to because you don't never know when you're going to be there or someone you love is there and you don't even know about it. Yeah. You're the rescue. I love the fact you say it. it's a it's an emergency shelter, but it's just temporary. This is not a place to stay. It's a it's a transition to mm -hmm. become your effective, your own four walls. Right. So, and, and so a parting tip. What's our what's our tip of the day? Oh gosh, tip of the day. <laughs> I can give one. I can give Kelly, one. come to my rescue. Let, let, me, let, me, let me say a couple of things. First of all, um, you know, Bertil, thank you for the work you're doing because you know what? You're making a huge difference. And thanks to all those volunteers at Wise Place. I'm so proud to uh, be associated still with Wise Place. And again, I've, I've always been proud of the organization, but you're making a huge difference. And so tip of the day for you, get some rest. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Going, right? I like that tip. <laughs> we need to have captain of the ship and, and, and mentally, physically in tune. But I would like to amplify. So Kelly actually invited me to go to Wise Place when we first met, saying you've never been. And it just so happened as a 25-year seasoned veteran uh, ticket holder of the Anaheim Ducks that they were sponsored one of the biggest players back in the day when you first got hired. And when I walked in, I'm like, don't I know you? Like, you know, it's one of these things. So what a small world. And um, to that extent, how, so wiseplace.org. Yeah, uh, and then can we connect with you on LinkedIn too? Is that a great place? Okay. Yes. Yeah, so for Teal Agassi, and you can find my email on kind of the staff directory at wiseplace.org. So whatever is easier. That would be fantastic. So thank you very much, Kelly. Thank you very much, Bertil. In honor of Women's History Month, we have three incredible ladies here. And this is what this conversation is about. So anyone who has information that can amplify what um, Bertil is doing, what Kelly's doing, how we can integrate better to create a better housing ecosystem, please reach out to me. I'm Desiree Patton, and thank you for another incredible edition of Know the Rules of the Game. Everyone be safe and stay healthy and have a great one. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.